0: Hey guys, welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. This is your weekend edition. We're going to continue on our topic of the Browns preview, where we're doing this via audio form. Nothing to read. Plenty of places out there to get your written form of this, but I thought it's great to kind of go through this in podcast form. Today we're going to touch on a topic which is probably good for the weekend, where you don't always listen to every single podcast, and that's a very forgettable position group on the Cleveland Browns, the defensive tackles. Before we do uh, get to that point, I do want to remind you guys about some things up on the OBR's website. A couple things of note that I think are really good. We did an analytic study. I shouldn't say we. It was all Anthony Reinhardt here who did an analytic study on win probability with how many games Deshaun Watson's suspension will cost. So looking at what the impact will be in those early season to late season games if he is suspended something of like 12 games, uh, if that's what the decision is, uh, how many of the Browns can withstand, what the win probability looks like, how everything shifts with a different quarterback like Jacoby Brissett in there. So that is well worth your time and is a free read. And then AFC North Player Rankings' Cody Sook put out his uh, edge rusher edition. So you should take some time to read that one as well because he gives you his reason why Miles Garrett is clearly better than T.J. Watt, despite the delusional folks that are our neighbors to the East. Anyway, we're going to get to today's episode. Like I said, not an exciting position group to talk about by any means. But I'm excited to bring in Jared Mueller who I love doing podcasts with because I think he brings great insight and we're going to talk about a pretty terrible group. What's up Jared?
1: You know, I guess we're we're fitting. We get, we're going to play some pretty terrible golf here soon, so works out really really well. Terrible groups talk about, probably some terrible golf going to be happening. It's a good combination, brother.
0: Yeah, here Saturday the OBR group and and Jared's going to join us too getting together to play some golf. It will be a lot of bad swings, so um, you know, but but what, we'll soak up some sun and have some fun and uh, uh, probably more fun than we'll have talking about this group like defensive tackle group I think it's pretty abundantly clear at this point Jared that they don't care all too much they think they can get by without spending a ton of money a ton of draft capital at this position maybe they will eventually if the right person comes along at the right price or the right draft selection but for now our evidence only in the Andrew Barry era is that they don't they don't care all too much about this position. Do you think that vibe is true or that they just haven't quite run across the right guy at the right time?
1: You know, I think both of those can be really true in that it seems, and again, we're, we're going based on, you know, this is the third off season for Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski. It seems that they believe that if you don't get that kind of guy, that top level guy, um, you know, the the Aaron Donald of the world and anybody else you want to talk about on the interior that you want to pay five million dollars or less and or you want to spend a third round pick or less and even when you look at all of those players uh, outside of Andrew Billings who was just a big boy in the middle everybody else is generally at least the ones they've spent some money on or a third or a fourth round pick on have have really seemed to be more of a kind of a tweener role where uh, you know, they're, they're not really investing in that stout big guy. It doesn't seem like, and they're not really finding, uh, we'll see with, with their fourth rounder this year, but not really finding that real aggressive dynamic player either. They're, they're more kind of balanced players who aren't really that great at e- anything, but aren't terrible at ever, anything either. So um, I just wonder if it's kind of, maybe it's analytics. I don't know that if you're not a top guy everybody else is too similar to spend a second round pick or a late first round pick uh, or even, you know, that middle kind of free agent contract that you either spend big on a, on a defensive tackle or you don't
0: like that. Yeah. I think, I think that that, I think we're saying a similar thing here where it is, we haven't found a guy who fits the mold of either spending big free agent dollars or spending a high pick. I think the same can be still said about linebacker. They just happen to find the right guy at the right time. So I, I I definitely think it holds true for a couple positions. If they had found a dynamic defensive tackle, I think they would have selected him in the second round. They just haven't found that evaluation or found that free agent on the market. But it doesn't mean they totally you know they're not trying to field a bunch of bums here. But they certainly have got to invest dollars in the team in certain positions. And it feels like they've tried to make late round value plays. They need somebody to hit here, right? Like they definitely need. Uh, one of these Perion, Winfrey, Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togiais to take off, because if they don't get that, they miss on all of these guys, and it remains a massive me- ne- sort of net negative, tough thing to say there, net negative. Net, net uh, negative, yeah. They're going to they're gonna have to keep doing it, while they would probably prefer to not keep doing that over and over again. So we'll see. I mean, it's tough to beat last year's group led by the two Malik's, Jackson and McDowell. Who started out strong and gave people a lot of opta, uh, a lot of optimism, and uh, you know Malik McDowell was seemingly a force as a one tech and was able to sort of his his goofy little one foot back stance he was using <laughs> and all of that, like he was making some disruption happen. And Malik Jackson could at times be a disruptor, but they were so inconsistent and by the end of the year completely depleted that I do wonder. If their theory of continuing to take similar body types, not necessarily run stuffing big guys, more of the agile pass rush types, even though I don't think any of these guys are pass rush specialists. If that by the end of the year, if you're playing those guys a ton and you don't have somebody to just eat double teams in the A gaps or B gap, depending on where they're aligned, it starts to wear your group down. So they're definitely pushing for depth, trying to play more guys. And I think that's smart. But I just wonder if these guys are going to have anybody that ends up being redeemable.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, is is this the part of the roster that is just churning year after year after year after year, right? Uh, and then we talk, you know, the the defensive end, the edge group has some of the bigger guys, even though they didn't spend a ton of time in there. You know, Alex Wright, Jadavian Clowney, Miles Garrett are bigger guys that can go inside. But yeah, it just feels like a group that um, is going to churn over time, and and throwing a one year deal at billings or at brian okay let's see what they have you know brian is obviously a former first round pick with some upside so yeah it's just it's just interesting is is what we're going to say about this group and and the
0: direction the browns have gone yeah i think too something interesting to say here is that you always people talk about following the money right the following the money for the answers you want and when you look at where the browns invested their udfa dollars OK, wide receiver and tight end. Pretty obvious they don't feel great about those groups. Don't think it takes a ton of stretch in the imagination after the first two tight ends. And after the, you know, Amari Cooper and maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones, you start to get into a whole bunch of questions. They invested there. Right. It's pretty clear that we're going to talk about two UDFAs that they also seriously invested in in this position. They didn't go out yeah. and get a ton of UDFAs at a bunch of other spots. Right. This is the one on defense that they spent a ton of time investing in so uh, it's an indication that they're still trying to figure this thing out and they will still I expect Jared be very active in the uh, roster trimming cut down situations and claiming somebody they won't have great position to claim a guy they maybe really really want but they'll be decent and if they find the right guy I think they'll be aggressive about going to get a UDFA sorry not a UDFA but a, a roster cut type and maybe last week of the Preseason type of situation. So uh, this this spot, we're going to talk about all these players here in just a second. But I think it's pretty evident that this group is is among the worst in the NFL, and clearly the worst of the of the Browns' position groups. But the question still remains, Jared: Does it even matter? Do you think it will matter to this season at all if these guys are you know a carbon copy of the poor play they got last year? Because it didn't matter much last year, but you know when everything counts, because you're you're down. To to you know, Jacoby Brissett, it, it might end up being something we reflect on and saying, well, maybe they should have done a little better there.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's a smart play given where the NFL is going. Where I don't know if it's a smart play is you know the New England Patriots, the Las Vegas Raiders, you know some of those teams you know really did were able to run on the Browns last year, and so yeah, you're exactly right. It might be a smart play, big picture, conference, uh, division, playoff, all of that. Uh, the problem is, is, you know, there will be possibly this razor's edge that they're walking, and if another team uh, can run the ball right down the middle, you know, that game can be really important if and when Watson returns. So I think it can cost them. I do think, I love the idea of, of the cutdown. I also think this is a spot where, you know, the, the depth that offensive line could come into play from a trade perspective. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys at the guard position, Dunn, Forbes, Hance, even David Moore, you know, in that backup group that I think they really, really actually like. Uh, and then you got a couple centers that they added this offseason. So I think it also could be a, an opportunity to trade depth to find that defensive tackle. So I think, you know, kind of keep an, a lookout for an offensive lineman injury in the NFL for the Browns to then try to get a player that, whether it's an older player, the Malik Jackson type, or it's a younger player that maybe is developing, and kind of switch out from weakness to or strength to weakness?
0: Well said. I do think that there is going to be some movement of some variety. I don't have the data on uh, who they've claimed over the years in front of me and, and, and how that's shaken out. I definitely know tight end reeks of a spot that they would go out and get somebody to be their third tight end. But you should be fair, and we're going to be fair here. Some of these guys who are around right now could obviously have nice tra- training camps and preseasons and mm-hmm. answer a lot of those questions. But for now, it just remains a spot that feels like a likely uh, addition situation. So we'll keep a keen eye on that. We're going to get to each player on the Browns' current roster in just a minute. Quick word from our sponsors.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
0: Okay, so we'll start with Jordan Elliott, right? Jordan Elliott is now in year three in the NFL. Uh, you you know there are going to be some rough – I mean, it's one of the harder positions to play, Jared, especially on the defense. I think linebackers up there too where you you just have so much to do in terms of learning and understanding what it takes to anchor, the strength necessary, the moves you need. It just is – It's it's tough. So there's patience needed here. Elliot is in his uh third year, like I said. This year he'll play the season at 24. He'll turn 25 on November 23rd. So still young. He was a round three pick in 2020, pick 88. The problem here is that he just he just hasn't played well and he didn't get better last year. So I watch Elliot and I'm concerned about what what is he, what is he gonna be good at? What's his niche? He only had 10 pressures last year on 258 pass rush snaps that is that's a big problem three hits one sack six hurries he had only 10 stop tackles and 206 run defense snaps and he's pretty much graded in the 40s across every portion of pffs grading that matters again not the bible here but a part of a tool that to me validates a player that i just don't really i don't really see it with he doesn't have any one thing that he does well uh, you know, there could be a year three breakout here. I'm not trying to say Jordan can't figure it out. But to me, I'm I'm pretty concerned in those 462 snaps last year. He was a three tech for 582 of those snaps. He kind of slid out a little more, played a bit over the tackle, a bit wider, almost four eye uh, tech on 167. So he's not an interior guy. He's your three tech. And you need that to be a, a bit of a dynamic player who can pass rush from that wider spot along the defensive line. So. I'm curious what you think of Jordan Elliott and where do you think he goes from from here, if he has another level or two to figure out, or if he's just going to be sort of a jag.
1: You know, everything we've seen, he looks like a jag. What's interesting is uh, I just wrote him up uh, last week for just kind of looking at Andrew Berry's drafts. And there was one week where he was the top graded PFF defensive tackle, like in the whole NFL, not rookies, in his rookie year, sorry. Um, and you, you just didn't see a lot from him last year. You didn't see pop, you know, like every player he lost weight and was in the best shape of his life last off season. And I wondered if they were interested in putting him in the, you know, in more of a, a nose kind of role, a one, one technique type of role, but at six, four, that's really tough to do. So you're exactly right. He is a guy who really plays like it would be better if he was six, two, and was anchoring and and some of that kind of stuff, but he's too tall and he's not strong enough to hold up against the run. And he just hasn't shown those those quick hands, the quick feet, uh, the combination of moves. You know, oftentimes it doesn't look like his upper and lower body is paired together. It just looks like things are happening, but he's going nowhere. Right? It's it's kind of the cartoon where you. Uh, the the one character has the hand on the forehead, and the other character's feet are just moving. Uh, it kind of felt a lot like that, where he's he's doing things, but nothing is happening. There's no movement there. There's no pushing the pocket. There's no uh, penetration. Those kind of things are very little of it. So uh, you're you're exactly right. Very tough position, but betting on a third year breakout from Jordan Elliott when it when the traits are just not there is is risky at best.
0: Yeah, I just, I don't have a ton of tape that shows me that. You're right, he had that Philadelphia game his rookie year, and 17 snaps, he got a 90.2 defense grade, 91 three against the run, uh, did not rush the passer well, but he did have a forced fumble, which is going to play a big part in that number. Uh, they kind of boost you up when you create turnovers. This, those are obviously important, so I'm not trying to knock that. That would be the game. I Listen, He's he's not going to cost a ton of money. He's Going to play this year with a 1.042 cap number, one two, three, next year, 1.383 the following year. There's not much collateral damage if you cut him in 20 uh, – sorry, he's actually at a 1.23 this year. I was off by year. So if they cut him, it would only cost 448,000 dead money, but they don't want to do that. They're going to keep him another year. His fourth year, if he plays as poorly as last year, is when it starts to get sort of dicey for me. So we'll see. I mean, Jordan Elliott's going to get every chance to start, it's a matter of how he shows up to camp. It's a matter of how he performs in those preseason games. Whether he's a serious snap getter. So uh, we'll move on from him. Taven Bryan's the next guy. Uh, again, a first-round pick, pick 29 for Jacksonville in 2018, who just who just never panned out. You know, I think he was a he was a really big PFF darling, which you know, fair I, to be honest. So is Jordan Elliott. Uh, uh, but, you know, when he was coming out of college, I think he was pro football focused, one of their higher graded defensive tackles he when he was at Missouri. But Brian is uh, still young. He's 26. He doesn't turn 27 until the following year. He just turned 26 in March. Uh, so he's he's going to still play this year on a one year deal at a, at a cheap number. Last year he had 14 pressures and 176 snaps. He had two sacks, six hits, six hurries. His best performing season was his second year, where in 233 pass rush snaps, he was able to generate 25 pressures, a couple sacks, 8 hits, 15 hurries. He has, for Jacksonville, been a B-gap player. So you're looking at a three-tech, uh, for the most part, doesn't carry many A-gap snaps. How how they, they, they sort of uh, chart these things is interesting to me. I can't confirm or deny some of these guys, if they deem the B-gap, but they're you know, the the NFL guys will kind of use like a head up uh, in a situation where uh, he might be a little more over the center or in the gap there. And they label that as a B gap player. So I'm not sure. I've always kind of viewed Taven as a three tech. I think that's a lot yeah. of what he was doing for Jacksonville, a rusher by nature, uh, instead of a instead of a run defender. as He has not had many run stops. He's not played the run as his his worst grades have been in run defensive late. He's, he's more of a pass rusher. I'm thinking they're hoping for a pass rush resurgence here. But he, have, of of all these guys, to me, seems like the most logical to see a ton of snaps this year. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of the
1: times, one of the situations where I'm looking going, okay, but who was their coach, right? Like, who was coaching the teams when this player is on there? Because we know, I mean, we've covered the Browns for long enough to know, bad coaches create pretty poor things, right? And so, you know, the Jaguars have had Doug Marone, Urban Meyer last year for however long that was, you know, and then even trying to look back at who their defensive coordinators were, you know, and, and trying to figure out what does it, you know, was he put in good positions? Yeah, we know that he's a huge athlete, you know, he he's got pretty much everything you want in that position as a three technique, except for long arms, right? His, his arms don't match, you know, he's six foot four, but he's got, you know, 32 inch, 32 and a half inch arms. So um, but from an athletic perspective, he has everything you want from that position except production, right? And, and even in college, he didn't have that production at the significant level, but everyone projected him as a first or second round pick. He went in the first round. He's in, he's in Jacksonville. Um, and just not really uh, doesn't doesn't play up to his athletic ability doesn't seem to uh, have a plan in place he is going to penetrate and then he's kind of at a little bit of a loss but does have that athletic ability you wonder if Miles Garrett, Jadavian Clowney, Chase Winovich if having those guys freeze things up a little bit uh, for him on the inside but don't expect him to be much against the run. Again, like we've talked in other times, it doesn't seem like the Browns really care that much about run defense uh, from the uh, almost any perspective. You know, walk, You know, their linebackers are light, all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think Brian is the guy that is probably going to get most of the snaps, but uh, is going to have to prove that he's more than just an athletic talent and that the Jaguars really wasted their pick
0: and didn't use him correctly. So Taven Bryan set to make two million in guaranteed salary this year. He's set to make a significant number cap wise for the position. Three point nine four one. They cannot cut him. He is a lock to make the roster. If they cut him uh, before the season, it's a three point two five dead cap number and only saving six ninety one against the cap. So he is as on the roster as any of these guys are. So good one year deal for him. They're going to give him a chance. We'll see if he can. He can uh, run with it. It would certainly help the Browns. The next is Tommy Togiai, who turns 23 on September 19th, so still just 22 years old. He's a fourth-round guy, pick 133 of last year's draft, 2021. I did not love a lot of what Tommy put on tape. His 39.8 defensive grade is really rough. He was really rough in run defense, where I thought he got driven off the football far too much. I did not like his preseason, was not surprised he did not receive many snaps. He is a shade type of player, an interior guy that you need to be at six two three hundred. can be an interior guy. So I hope he can figure it out and play some one tech for them and eat some gaps and maybe make run plays. But he had five stop tackles, didn't do much else, had two total pressures and 65 pass rush snaps. I mean, they took him in the fourth round, a meaningful pick. I really hope there's something here, Jared. But again, what glimpses do you see? Like, I saw, you know, you want to see glimpses from these guys. What can they flash? Can they make a play that says, okay, I can see the future of where this guy's skill set is going? And I just didn't see enough of that out of Tommy. And I'm kind of concerned that this is a similar situation to what they had with Elliott and what has been going on, you know, for a longer period of time here, what's gone on for Taven Bryant.
1: Yeah, that's, you know, when they drafted Tommy Togi, I was like, don't they have Jordan Elliott still on the roster? Right. Like, obviously, Togi is a little shorter, but seems like a lot like that same tweener player. Now, Togi is ridiculously strong, but he's not laying on his back doing a bench press when he's taking on offensive linemen. Right. So, there's so much more to being strong from an NFL perspective than just bench pressing. But his 40 reps of 225, yeah, that is impressive. He's a hard worker. He puts in the effort. He is someone just, maybe it's a little bit of the fact that I'm a Buckeye and and all that goes with that. He's someone who I still haven't, Jordan Elliott, probably pretty quickly, I was like, all right, I know what I know. Tommy I I didn't like what I saw, but there's a part of me that knows the work ethic, knows kind of the heart and the drive, and knows quite literally just that amazing amount of strength. And so if they're going to put him at the shade, they need to kind of bulk him up a little bit, right? He needs to be put on that, you know, 4,000 calorie kind of diet thing that that you hear from some of the offensive linemen so that he really is just kind of setting his anchor um, and trying to use that strength uh, to be productive. But you're right, just from a prospect perspective, you saw a Jordan Elliott type player coming out and, and obviously different in a little way, but just again, that tweener that doesn't do anything really, really well and you would want to see that, right? Like you said, you'd want to see flashes even coming out, you know, as, as a, as a prospect didn't see those flashes that I was hoping to see for a, a third and a fourth round pick, right? Some of those, those type of picks need to have something you can build off of, you know, at least Taven Bryan had the physical attributes that really stood out to you. Togi, I really still has that kind of uh, in the middle. Is he going to beef up enough? I don't think he's going to get much quicker uh longer, those kind of things. So, you know, if, if he can really build on that strength, sure, but we really
0: didn't see it on the field. Yeah, that's that's the thing for me. He just looked overwhelmed. He looked small and he looked overwhelmed by NFL lineman. Now I'm not saying a guy can't change his body in the offseason. I'm not saying he can't get stronger and I'm certainly not saying he can't figure it out. But to me, I just was not encouraged. We'll see if it ends up panning out for him. He feels like a roster lock at this point. He's still carries a dead cap number of over half a million dollars and you don't save much by letting him go it's basically a wash you have him at a 994 number this year 1.109 next year 1.2 they they need something from him there's not a doubt about that but i'm just not overly optimistic at this point but i'm a noted defensive lineman hater from some people you know i just (laughs) i just i just need to see more flashes for me to believe you're going to be a guy Let's go to the lone, real lone veteran that's been around the Browns for a bit here, which is, well, I I should say, too, we've basically talked about three guys who are a lock. I think we we feel like those first three guys are are pretty much a lock to make the roster. Now, I mentioned yesterday that it feels like five defensive ends are making the roster. So five defensive tackles, you got 10 defensive linemen. Sheldon Day is going to have to sort of play really well. You know, they have some UDFAs and Perry on winter. We're going to talk in a minute, but... Uh, they 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 have gotten some glimpses of Sheldon Day he was in a, a quality grading perspective four times when he played last year he graded out of the 64.7 across 233 snaps 64 pass rush 50 or sorry 60 defense uh sorry in terms of run defense i thought he was respectable when he was in there he didn't look overwhelmed i thought he anchored pretty well uh, just an opportunistic pass rusher where maybe you're assigned to play through the b gap and you kind of rip through and you get home Nothing crazy. He doesn't create the unnatural pressures, right? He doesn't he doesn't put together an array of moves that get him where he needs to go. But I think he's NFL average at a lot of things that you need to be able to be uh, playing with leverage, among other things, and, and using your hands when you need to, having quick uh, quick arm based moves, club rip, things like that. You won't see, but a guy who given an opportunity to to get through a gap, he can get there. He's he's older. I mean, he's certainly the veteran of the group at twenty eight. He was a fourth-round pick of the Jaguars back in 2016. He came to Cleveland last year from Indy the year before. 11 total pressures, two sacks, eight uh, quarterback hurries. He had a couple stop tackles, uh, played more pass rush for them than run uh, defense. He had 144 pass rush snaps, 89 run defense snaps. He is set to – this is where it's dicey for him and why he really has to prove it and maybe why he ends up back on the practice squad in some capacity here His dead cap number is only twenty five thousand, so you save eight seventy. If you cut him, you only lose twenty five k. If you uh, end up letting him go before that, and he only carries an eight ninety five dead cap number, or sorry, total cap number, if he makes the fifty three. So, I like Sheldon Day. I think he's got a really good chance, but I'm I really don't. The money, you know, we talk about following the money here for some of these decisions. The money's not in his favor, so he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to be really really flashy early in training camp and preseason. Which
1: is not Sheldon Day's game, right? Like, Sheldon Day. I don't know if PFF has him actually lined up at defensive end, but I felt like we saw him at defensive end more than two snaps, right? Like, you notice when a six foot one, three hundred pound defensive lineman is outside, so more memorable than probably the amount of snaps. But he's someone who knows what he is, right? And I think that's probably. What Jordan Elliott and Tommy, Tommy I haven't figured out is who they are. Sheldon Day knows he's six foot one. He's got to play with leverage. He's got to get underneath people. He's got to shoot those gaps. He's got to keep people's hands off of him. So that's where I think he does provide them kind of that that higher floor, really low ceiling, right? Like his floor ceiling might be the same thing, but there's, you know, exactly what you're going to get from Sheldon day. He's going to be in the right position at the right time. He's not getting generally blown off the ball, not because he's strong, but because he knows what he's doing uh, with his body, um, with his hand placement, with his feet placement, all of that kind of stuff. So obviously we're not, I say a lot of these positives, but they're positives comparable to expectations, right? Um, comparable to, you know, a first round pick and Brian and third and fourth round picks and the other two guys, Sheldon Day is jumped around a little bit. I believe he was with San Francisco for a little while, but given expectations, given that low contract, Sheldon Day knows what he's doing, does what he can given that and isn't going to make huge mistakes. And so, um, you know, I think for the Browns, there's some value there, uh, but you're right, follow the money. And you see a player who there, do they rather cut the 28 year old who knows what he's doing Instead of, you know, some of the UDFA guys we're about to talk about, I think you're 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 spot on with Sheldon Day, except for the fact, to be honest, Jordan Elliott is on my list of could be a starter, could be cut. So I'm a little bit closer to him being gone than than anything. And so if I have to rely on someone, I probably want to rely on Sheldon Day more than Jordan Elliott at this point in time, uh, unless Jordan Elliott shows that year three is his year.
0: It's true. You kind of get into this decision making of uh, where, to me, it'll boil down to if one of these young guys of those first three shows up and they're just they're just either not ready to go, not in shape, not not uh, practicing hard, whatever that could be, they'll cost themselves a spot. Because a guy like Sheldon Day is sort of sitting there, hey, my my range of outcomes here is not going to be wide. You pretty much know my basement ceiling at this point, but you know that consistency could could be better for them than taking a risk on a guy like Jordan or like somebody else who ultimately could really, really let you down and just not be ready to play. So Sheldon Day's knocking at the door if somebody you know shows up ill prepared for what's what's coming in the season. The next guy you've got to talk about is is I think somebody people are they're banking on a little bit too much at times. Perry on Winfrey, who they drafted in the fourth round. I think they're banking on him to be – it's kind of in the David Bell territory where you, you draft these guys in the third and fourth round, but because you don't have the first and second round pick, your brain tricks you into thinking, well, these guys are our first and second pick, and this is why they're <laughs> going to be great. Like I think some of that stuff can happen sometimes. It's a little dangerous. Perion Winfrey fell to the fourth round for a reason. you got to remind yourself that. There are some things around him to, to, to leave you feeling a little bit uncertain about what his actual outcome will be given – sort of the unpredictable nature of his game if you go back and look at some of his grading charts and tape there is a lull in the middle of the season where he didn't even look like he belonged then he'll show up and he'll dominate the very end of the season he'll go to the senior bowl and be the best defensive tackle at the senior bowl and you're like where is the actual serious middle ground here what is he really and that's why he falls to the fourth round despite people mocking him to cleveland in the second round people of serious drafts uh, you know importance mocking him to Cleveland in the second round so it was a wide range of views on the guy and it's a wide range of outcomes that remain possible here for him he finished with the 59.7 collective defensive grade last year strong in the pass rush category but weak in run and that seems to be a theme here he had 29 uh, 285 pass rush snaps he had 29 pressures six sacks six hits 17 hurries had I, I think some games where he had a five-pressure game against Tulane, six against West Carolina, three against Texas, five against Iowa State. So he showed he flashed. Oklahoma State he was pretty strong in that one too, um, in some games, but just not consistent enough to be anything above that. And some people are banking on because of his crazy opening interview and some of the
3: the nature <laughs> of
0: him. Like they think he's going to be that guy. I think he's got a nice chance to be a solid pass rushing defensive lineman, but I think you have to go into this year. Reminding yourself a lot of the things we said earlier, Jared, about other young guys at this position, about how hard it is, and uh, you know the the learning process for guys who think they're pass rush specialists. Who, oh yeah, they can run the ball here, or oh, I got double teamed. I wasn't expecting that double team to transpire. Many different things that you're not used to from the college level, and it's no secret that that the Grinch's defense at Oklahoma, the defensive coordinator there. It's a three-three-five that they kind of hybridize some things, and it's different. It's weird, and there's a lot of um, uh, different – he's going to be tasked with a bunch of different responsibilities in his first NFL year. So I think he's a roster lock. The contract pretty much states he's going to be on the team uh, once it gets signed. Right now he's still – a reminder, he is not signed loan. I can't think of – there's probably not a ton of guys in the league that are rookies that haven't signed yet. So he's kind of holding out. And I know you have a little bit of insight into why he might be still holding out. It's not really talked about enough, but once he signs it, he's pretty much going to get two years. Like most of these guys will before it becomes really stomachable to let them go. So uh, he's got to have, he's going to have opportunity and that opportunity might just be sheer. Uh, everyone in front of you stinks, man. So we're going to give you a shot kind of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think Perry Winfrey actually his interview really kind of speaks to his playing style. Like, He is all go and not a lot of nuance to the game, right? And so, you know, misdirection, some of that kind of stuff. He might luck into uh, getting that tackle and tackle for loss, but he's a lot of all go, Uh, maybe a little slow off the snap, a little slow off the snap, but uh, once he goes, he's just going. And so he's either going to make that big play, or he is not even in the play. Right. So he's the guy that looks up from his pass rush move or his whatever move he does. And is like, wait, the ball's over there. How did that happen? Like it it just is right now for him. um, And, and really kind of limited what those moves are, but I think he's going to be a really interesting player uh, to see if there is a development. Right. And that's really, what's going to be key is, you know, when everything was vanilla in the senior bowl, well, that all or nothing kind of worked. Right. And, you know, at times in Oklahoma, like you talked about with the different uh, style of defense, you know, he's playing a little bit more zero-one technique than the three technique he'll be playing in Cleveland. But I just see really smart offensive linemen and line coaches just saying, "Hey, let's set this guy up. Right, we're going to clear him out of the play um, and just kind of really widen that widen that hole because he's going to think this or he's just going to react to this. And now Anthony Walker, JOK. You know, they're going to be stuck with this other offensive lineman kind of pulling and coming, coming downhill on Perry and Winfrey. So he is one of 23 unsigned draft picks currently. A um, majority of them are second, third, and fourth rounders. The fourth round picks, which I believe is still a majority of them, are all a little delayed because the Houston Texans gave their fourth round pick, the, he's the second pick, uh, the, their running back, they gave him $25,000 guaranteed extra than what is slotted there. And so because of that, everybody behind him or a lot of people behind him wanted their agents want more money, right? They're like, he got 25 more, give us 20 more, give us 15 more. Cade York was the last Browns player to sign uh, with, with Perrin Winfrey still unsigned because he's also a fourth round pick. So just little things. I don't know what the, the grand total that that might lead to this signing happening, But still, 23 players unsigned is kind of
0: surprising. Yeah, more than I would have suspected. And I had actually completely forgotten until we checked the Browns roster DTs. I'm like, well, why isn't he in there? He's at the bottom of the roster still remaining unsigned. So that's something not getting talked about much, but we're going to have to hope it works out. They got about 20 days to get this contract signed before it turns into the rare modern training camp holdout that we used to see all the time. So keep your eye on that. There are two UDFAs that are also listed on the roster. One is Glenn um, Glenn Logan, LSU, who they gave actually a pretty decent amount of money to. He's uh, he's 24, I believe, is Glenn Logan's age. He's 24. So that speaks to the UDFA setup up here. He's, uh, he had five years at LSU. Uh, did not, I think he took a red shirt despite some low snap numbers in 17, or he cashed in on that COVID year. Not sure which. I, I have not researched that. He was pretty consistently sort of meh. In the uh, Department of Grades, he was always kind of in the 60s with a severe uptick in the run defense aspect. So these two guys, we're also going to talk about Roderick Perry, are both sort of those interior guys. They push the 340-pound uh, threshold as Perry pushes a little south of that um, d- down into the 320-310 area, but will do a similar sort of thing. And Glenn Logan is, is every bit of six three three forty traditional shade, nose guard type. And that's different for Cleveland. Certainly different from many guys they have. So I think they're taking a risk here. They gave him some serious money for a UDFA. They gave him uh, what looks to be a seven hundred ten thousand dollars cap number, forty thousand dollars guaranteed, a fifty five thousand dollars dead cap, which is more than uh, more than nothing, right? Fifty five thousand dead cap there. If they ended up cutting him, they saved significant amount of money uh, in terms of what would be against the cap there, but. Uh, Glenn Logan is interesting I've I've looked at tape he's kind of fine he's he's going to eat some gaps like if they decide hey we want to keep this type of player as a rotational piece he has a chance it would be surprising to me to see them do this not totally unsurprising right because because Glenn Logan or, or Perry could go earn this job but both of them are UDFAs for a reason they're older guys Logan is the more interesting prospect of the two. I don't expect either of them to make the roster, but I do think Glenn Logan due to the practice squad flexibility now, which is better than ever has a real chance to get back on the practice squad and actually have some sort of impact on seeing snaps this year, because I do think they will want a guy like that to be brought up on some game days.
1: Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think there are two players that are competing with each other, right. For that, Really that pure one you know, one technique that 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 nose kind of role, uh, where they're like, Can you be a big body who can anchor? Can you uh, you know, uh Perry's a little bit of a shorter, more of a a stout kind of mm-hmm. nose tackle where uh, you know, Logan is is just a big boy, right? Big enough that that last year he signed a uh NIL deal with the WWE. And for those of you not a dork like me, that is the wrestling company that used to be called the WWF, with The Rock and Hulk Hogan and all those guys. So he was one of fifteen uh, college athletes that signed this NIL deal with the WWE. Not sure what he actually did with that, uh, but part of that is because he is just a very large human being, right? So like they're like, oh, six four, six five, three something, yeah, yeah, and and you know can can be funny or can can look serious. Great, we'll do something with you. Uh, so yeah, I think you're just looking at two guys that are going to compete with each other for either a roster spot or to be that kind of, um, like you talked about the practice squad that you might want to pull up against the new England Patriots, Las Vegas Raiders, a team that that's really going to try to run the ball down your throat, but you only need him for a few games. And so these guys will be competing with each other. One of them will be around one way or the other, most likely, um, you know, obviously the money says Logan that 55000 says that that was the signing bonus they gave him. So he's going to have dead cap because they gave him that money. It's already spent, yeah. so it's going to be that cap. So they gave him a real amount of money. So given his size, uh, some of the pedigree stuff, I think he's probably the guy that's most likely to either make the roster or the uh, practice squad. But right now with, such, um, you know, with a lot of teams trying to figure out what the roster is going to look like, if the Browns have a player that looks good, some of these lower teams may want to pick him up.
0: Yeah, he'll be like, uh, was it Marvin Wilson last year, right? A guy who exactly. the Browns thought they, could up sneak, yeah, they thought they could sneak him back onto their practice squad, and it didn't quite work out that way. So something to keep our eye on. That covers defensive tackle. We talked about all of them, gave you some insights on WWE NIL contracts and how many UDF, or sorry, how many uh, rookies haven't signed their rookie deal. We're doing all of it here, so uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed what again is a position group of concern, uh, which to me you can you can be okay with concern if you feel like there's potential. I'm not sure there's as much potential as people talk themselves into here, but I'm open to be proved wrong this year. That's for certain. Hopefully they can show up and be respectable because last year's group, uh, much of which is gone, uh, was not was not very respectable. They need these guys to be right, uh, you know, better. They need these guys to be significantly better. Not Okay, let me take that back. I don't think they need to be significantly better, but I do think they need to find a level of respectability because if they don't and they have JOK getting clogged up with two guys getting to him at the second level or Jacob Phillips or whoever, I do think that causes a bunch of headaches you don't want. You want those guys at the second level roaming free, and you also don't want these interior guys as Miles and, and Clowney continue to turn the corner and push a quarterback up in the pocket. You need people to be able to clean that up that 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 advantageous situation that comes with a court, you know, quarterback having to step up, you need somebody to step up inside and make those plays around him. So, I'm not sure the group is going to be very good, but I'm open to being proven wrong. And, and I don't know if your stance is a little more optimistic than mine, but I don't feel great Jared.
1: No, my stance is pretty much in line with that and and to be honest, the hope that they're going to play a lot of 3 and 4 defensive ends or this is where Andrew Barry is you know, maybe Martin Emerson looks really good and he trades greedy Williams, right? Like that's really where my hope comes is that Andrew Barry might be able to create a miracle and find a defensive tackle that we actually trust. Cause right now I'm pretty sure the one I trust, trust the most and know what he's going to be is
0: Sheldon day. And that tells you all we need to know. Yeah. it ultimately might not matter though. They might have a bad group, but they can figure out a way to still be a good defense. It'll be a litmus test for that theory. So that's about it for defensive tackle though as depressing as this 42 minutes might have been for you <laughs> uh we are, we are through it jared i appreciate you spending time on this preview with me man absolutely loosen up buddy we got some golf to do uh, we will be hacking around the golf course tomorrow guys thanks for checking out today's episode have a great saturday if you're checking this out on saturday or whatever day you're checking it out we appreciate you taking some time and joining the show so uh, otherwise thanks to jared thanks to the obr for continuing to put out the The uh, content that you guys are enjoying, continue to support this pod. The Twitch and the website means, uh, means everything to us. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. And we'll be back probably with a Sunday episode, too. So check that out as well. Until then, go
3: Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?